And welcome to the HBM podcast. I am a Leon that should be left well alone. And I'm joined by Frank. Frank, how are you doing? I am good. I am maidenless for now. But <laughs> I shall oh. endure. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> you hear those ghosts laughing. It's, uh... hmm, something strange <laughs> about. Yeah, we, we are talking about a very special game today. Very, uh, dare I say, gothic. Dare I say... Uh, meaningful, uh, dare I say, whatever the fuck, and it's it's too daunting to do alone. We are of course talking about Eldering yeah. as the title already like spoiled probably, and we figured uh, we should ask help. Um, we probably should. I, if you look over there in the right corner, Frank, I've drawn this pentagram on the ground. Oh, nice! And I have these objects, and maybe you can put them on the corner of each each up uh, each corner, an object in each corner. So, so w- w- what's this? What am I looking at here? I'm gonna put that. Uh, this—that's an Italian coffee maker. Because I heard one of the ghosts, or should <laughs> I say, hosts, likes coffee a lot. <laughs> oh, nice. That's that's a good call. It's a good yeah. call. Um, the other is like a um, what do you have? Like this very weird Z horror movie that nobody has heard of. That's made by a sixty-year-old German teenager <laughs> called The Fucker or something. <laughs> Yeah, um, some Marfista rom-coms, uh, Jameson and Block biography, uh, Malort. I don't know what this is. Only an idiot would drink this. I don't know what this is. But okay, yeah, that's, that's um, weird. That's yeah. We probably need it, but uh, put it in the cor- far corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what to do with this spirit Halloween store voucher. <laughs> I think that's what ties it all together, though. We can't leave Maybe. it alone. Maybe put it in the center, right? Because we have yeah. to, okay. <clears throat> Oh. <laughs> and welcome, Horror Vanguard, to the HBM podcast. That was the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. How did we get here? What kind of what kind of arcane summoning ritual is this? Well, it, it depends. If you scale faith and intelligence at the right amounts, then you can do this. But uh, yeah. You know, I, I saw I saw an invasion sign on the ground. I was not expecting to be bound with this deep arcane podcasting magic. But I guess we're here now, so Yeah. So you guys want to talk about Elden Ring or so Oh yeah, yeah, I think that'd be good. Okay, as, yeah. as a as a pure strength build, I just, you know, I, I was bonking things in one place and now I've been teleported to bonk things in another place. So <laughs> it's all the same here. I'm feeling groovy. Let's go. Oh uh, hell yeah. I, I feel like if we are going to start with Elden, we should, I think, collectively uh, share our, our our builds uh, for my sins. And in, in synergy with my uh, podcast co-host, uh, he is uh, the, the bonk G, uh, guru. I am <laughs> the uh, the filthy mage uh, who levels in decks. Uh, how about the two of you? Uh, I, I am the, the strength bleed build. I, I'm sorry. Ooh, I, I couldn't love rest. it. I love it. Oh, I'm just rivers out. It's uh, so we we three three bonkers versus one one cowardly mage. Not kidding. This this, this is not <laughs> this is no judgment zone. Uh, I, I would love to, <laughs> I would love to talk a little bit about the mentality because I do think it's indicative of a couple of things. But we will get to that. We will get to that. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's an interesting one for builds this time around, given that the uh, uh well. Very quickly, as an obligatory introduction for people who don't know FromSoft somehow, 
uh, don't know what you're doing on this podcast, to be honest. <laughs> but I appreciate it. I appreciate it if you don't refer to and you're still listening to this. I truly, truly do. It's this very, uh, oof, dare I say, I don't want to call it renaissance because that, that has a whole lot of uh, implicit meaning, I suppose. But this very interesting uh, revival of difficult gameplay, it is, in initial, initially it is like, uh, it rose to success because it was so difficult and because it was like doing things a lot of games have, well, to sound dramatic, uh, forgotten, um, who like chose for like a more easier route, a more playable route. And this is not necessarily a bad thing because it can invite a whole bunch of people like uh, to, to play it and so forth and so on. There's a low barrier to entry, as we call it. The, the, uh, FromSoft is well known for its high difficult and, once again, high bar to entry. And the Elden Ring is the latest installment, of, as, as of right now, as of recording, the latest installment of this illustrious studio, illustrious Japanese studio, I should say. Um, yeah, and it's 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 <laughs> open world uh, combat, whatever. I don't know, what would you call it, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that is a good question to, to start off. Yeah, what is uh, Elden Ring, uh, really? <laughs> the seance of the ghosts. Um, <laughs> what is Elden Ring? Uh, it is a video game, I guess. Uh, about you, <laughs> you lowly tarnished, uh, rising and becoming Elden Lord. In in the simplest plot terms, that's it. There is a lot of fuckery going on though, um, to colonialism for through cosmic horror and um, very weird family relationships, uh, yeah. all which we will get to. But yeah, hopefully, no promises. <laughs> By the way, Frank is a lot braver than I am. <laughs> I <laughs> At least am. part of that. <laughs> no, uh, but it's uh, t- t- it's a game about becoming Elden Lord and uh, rising to power and battling gigantic enemies that always are always coming and are about ten times your size. Uh, and you you get a big sword and you go at them or a, a big stick. Uh, magic is quite powerful. So I, I don't want to don't want to spite you, John. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's okay. Uh, it, like uh, people who've listened to the show for, uh, to HV for a little while might know that if we go to the HV archives, uh, Ash has a kind of more of a background in the Dark Souls video games than I do, uh, and has more of a background in like video game criticism and academia. I want to Ash. Maybe you could kind of start by. How would you define what makes a FromSoft game unique uh, in terms of its ludology? Uh, so you you have a dodge roll and you can break <laughs> barrels. Those are the two things you need. You have those things, and you are a front, you are a souls like officially. No, I, I think uh, so. So for me, there's there's kind of like a balance of a few like ludic qualities that really makes the the classic. Because FromSoft, it's not just Kingsfield, Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro, Elden Ring. They also they also do Armored Core, and some games outside of the Souls-like formula. But for these Souls-like games, it's really like a, a very tight balance between like extremely punishing combat, but that's also some of the fairest gameplay you'll encounter, uh, c- combined with. Uh, the most diaphanous and nearly empty story, like an entirely skippable plot line if you want it. And then it, it also has to be extremely goth. Those are the those are the qualities that we stir in the, the Souls-like plot, or pot, mm. rather. And this time, George R. R. Martin is into it as well. 
Oh, wild turn of events. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the listeners to the, of this podcast might know that I've, I have feelings. Um, I've carefully sorted feelings about the man. Will try to limit myself because there, there is like there's, there's a lot of. Ooh, there is a um, above cheeky amount of song of ice and fire in here, and mm. I do kind of want to talk about its main donors to this world. And uh, once again, we will get into it. But I'm really sorry for those who don't care about Song of Ice and Fire. I promise I will be quick about it, as quick as I can. Which, once again, is Song of Ice and Fire. So that's not very quick. But I will try nonetheless. It's uh, it will be my it will be the Dark Souls of podcasting, if you will. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe we should start with the story because, like, mm-hmm. so Ash is completely right. So like the thing that marks the FromSoft games is story is not delivered to the player but is uncovered by the player in Mm -hmm. the in the action in the moment of playing the game so it it, on the level of its narrative design it kind of aims at this fusion between action and exposition and the exposition is almost always implicit um heavily allegorical in my opinion uh and never never kind of concrete you know it means that they're really fun games to come up with theories about um and I don't know if this is a hot take. I don't know if this is a hot take, but in, in some mm. ways, I think the story of Elden Ring is maybe one of the weakest components of the game in terms of how it manages to um, emotionally connect with the player in in the very act of playing the game. Um, As contrasted to the other FromSoft games? or I, I think so. So, like, I'll, I'll, I'll give a couple of examples of what I mean. So, like... Um, the story of Artorius in the Dark Souls 1 DLC, I think is yeah. maybe the high point of storytelling in that entire game. If you um, if you make it to the second Sith encounter without crying, I, I question the, the nature of your heart. Yeah. I, and and that's that's none of that is delivered in exposition. <laughs> All of that is delivered in kind of association, theme, uh, motif of the game design and the game game world. And in the action of fighting Artorius, right? That's how the story communicates itself. I think uh, a really good example of Elden Ring doing its story really, really well is the battle with General Radan. General Radan, the man who loves his horse so much. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and you have that kind of beautiful synergy of like action, theme, setting, uh, and no direct exposition, but of everything that's merged organically through the process of you just being in the world. But I often feel like a lot of, as beautiful as Elden Ring is, and as much as I really, really do love it, if I have to pick holes, if I have to like find things that I'm not as impressed with, I think it often struggles to create the coherent history of the world and at the same time create those moments of kind of deep-seated immersion where you as an active agent in history itself get to kind of like pick apart what's going on on your own terms yeah definitely i i think it's very interesting then that's once again a couple couple points it's that the relationship and how much time you spend in these roles is going to make is going to add more dimensions to Mm the uh to your playthrough if you will and once again people who just come in here for the high difficulty of the gameplay they or they can already like immediately get that by just playing the game by just going to the bosses and once again, this is this is then different because this is the first time it's in broad open worlds. Uh, usually, it's a more 
um, and you use this word loosely, but linear experience with, once again, a couple of asterisks here and there. <laughs> we can get into that. Uh, but yes, just for, for, <laughs> but, but for now, um, usually kind of, kind of linear or in kind of, kind of direct uh, type of way where you follow a very beautiful, um, it's going to sound condescending, but it isn't, but you follow a very beautiful hallway. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and through a, through the boss, and which which I don't mind. I like it. I like my beautiful hallways. Um, I'm not claustrophobic, so it's it's fine for me. And and I I admit uh, I love both story and like storytelling and it being communicated to me, especially the way FromSoft has been doing. It's like once again, I don't want to say like no other. Once again, it is it is so beautifully tragic always. Uh, like like you guys said, like it's it's very goth. It's, mm. it's it, it emanates so many different things at the same time. Once again, you can only do this with a big budget. I want to oh, ask yeah. if the people who work on this game are okay. Uh, blink <laughs> once if yes, because <laughs> this op- it's I would almost be hesitant to call it open world because it's insane. It's uh, <laughs> and it has a map, <laughs> which is like another layer of difficulty that's stripped away. Because normally they're like, go ahead, go through this hallway. We're not going to tell you where you are, and now you have to make a map. That's something. Of how we feel about the three D three Dification of uh, of this all. Mm. I, I I think briefly I, I just want oh, to mention on, but I think it, it brings those two points together of like how big this world is, and it is astonishingly big and beautiful, and and really um, distinctive. Like it, it's got uh, one of the some of the best level design I've seen lately, uh, oh, yeah. and uh, and and the connection with the story because. The story is what got me into From Software in the first place. It was watching lore videos of Dark Souls and Bloodborne especially, which really got me into Bloodborne some time ago and now Elden Ring as like a logical conclusion. And <laughs> that being it being so vast, like it's more difficult to create those direct moments where like the it really hits you in the face where it's like, mm. oh, fuck. Oh, and when you... you things start falling a bit into place because uh, you never get a full picture and I, I like that but where you actually it's like oh dear like Artorias story for example and I think that th- there are a few key moments in this game where it's like oh oh right where that thing does tie together but it's so vast it's so expansive that uh, the game gets a bit in the way of the story almost uh, because there's there's a lot of game mm-hmm. there, and there's only so oh, much yeah. story, even with all the story there is, and there's a fucking lot. Um, yeah, yeah, I, that's what I, I think about it. Yeah, I, I think that's like talking about the kind of expansive nature of uh, Elden Ring. I think is really important because, uh, uh, in a certain respect, this is true of all of the FromSoft Souls-like titles, but more so like Dark Souls two, three, Elden Ring. Uh, but like the the kind of expansive and open nature of these worlds, the kind the the fact that you're largely besides a few gated areas and gated sequences that you need to do like quote unquote plot activities to open up most of the time. Um, the, the games are like Eld- Elden Ring is a horse riding simulator for people <laughs> who love uh, layered fantasy lore. If you're really into like sword and sorcery fantasy that has like the Tolkienian quality of like you take a five page break from the action to talk about the history of a tree. 
if you're into that and the horse riding stuff from like any any like horse girl targeted games Elden Ring is a horse girl game is what I'm working towards here <laughs> and, yeah. and I mean this like like both as a bit and like from a ludo narratological perspective right you achieve the story and play of this game by like Elden Ring is riding around on your horse and then every now and then a monster comes and scares your horse away and you have to kill the monster so your horse is fine to come back that's that's the play pattern <laughs> mm, that's the well, loop that's the gameplay loop you, there are certain bosses and once again to, this is the last time I'll reach out to the people who don't know what we're talking about uh, this difficulty is mainly facilitated through the bosses which is like the big enemies you have the small enemies which are already difficult as fuck um, but there's another layer of sadism added on top of that, which is other bosses. And but this time it's, it's very interesting because I would argue there are bosses that are purposely designed to be beaten with your horse. So to mm -hmm. to add to your horse girl argument game, I would say this is a real <laughs> horse girl boss game, if you will. <laughs> Brilliant. I guess I guess another way of kind of um, expressing the point I was trying to get to. Is, is maybe to talk about the role of George R. R. Martin in this then. Um, so mm -hmm. as far as I'm aware, Martin said that his involvement was in mostly kind of constructing the deep lore of the world, right? Not not on the kind of contemporary events, but on the stuff that's happened way, way, way in the his, in the in, in the in the deep details of the game. Um, and I think the the issue that this runs into is that suddenly on a narrative level, the game has to do two things, right? It has to have a narrative that you as a player get to work out and be an active agent in the creation of what you think the story is. But it also has to construct a coherent chronology with certain sets of names, certain sets of relationships, and certain sets of kind of um, active agents involved. And neither of those things are bad, but I can't help but think that for chunks of the game, those two things are kind of like creating a sort of friction between one another. Because, like, I, I remember for lots of my playthrough, I was like, oh, so this is, oh, that's their brother. And that must mean that, and I'm like, but hang on, none of this is supposed to be that easy in a, in a Souls game, right? I'm supposed to constantly be kind of wondering and always curious about, about uh, how do I find the latest lore theory that will help me explain this? <laughs> and, and I think it's cool that Martin was involved. And, you know, I, I've, got a, I've got, you know, complex, but very, very uh, kind of broadly positive feelings about him as a writer. Um, but I do kind of think that those two different strands of the narrative design don't always kind of like mesh really smoothly. I I, I have a related point, not to not to have horror vanguard. You summoned us. No, <laughs> no, 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 fair enough. We're hijacking. I'll accept whatever I get. You summoned us. We came. <laughs> this is this is Lovecraftian sorcery le le lesson one. Don't summon it unless you can put it down. <laughs> you, you guys are our torrents. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so uh, as a related point, and this is kind of like going back to something Frank, uh, just mentioned, uh, in your last statement, but, um, like the, the lore makers of the kind of, uh, uh, from soft souls franchise universe on, on Twitter, right. The kind of poet laureates, Vadi, Vadi Vidya, as Vadi, yeah. I think is what they, they go by on YouTube. Uh, they kind of like sing, like do these very like poetic readings of the, the kind of mythos you find in the souls like games. And, and while I love those videos and I find them captivating and Vadi has a great voice to just put on and chill to, yeah. Amazing. Um, but I, I think on a more discursive level, so something that I find 
uh, I don't want to say go, go as far as to say troubling, but something that I think we really need to push against is those readings of the lore come out as the kind of official and determinative exactly. understandings of the history yeah. in Tra the Souls games. And it, what I find, what I found so compelling about these games is that like, when you take a step, because you're reading all of the history is like you pick up a shield and like scrawled on the back of that shield is like a paragraph about some prince or something. Yeah. And you can you can make inferences of like, oh, I'm finding weapons that originate from this kingdom and they're giving me this bits of lore. And so when you start taking a step back from a more historical or uh, historical perspective, it, it's pretty easy to see that like, oh, well, that's that kingdom story of these historical events. That's that's Elden Ring, United States. You're you're finding you're finding uh, American weapons, telling the story of that political event. And then oh, you go to like Elden Ring, Australia, and then there's a retelling or something. It was a horrible, cursed fucking analogy that I just created. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but but that that I think is is the most compelling thing about the storytelling in these games is like it forces you to essentially play the role of the historian. Mm. That yeah. makes sense. Go go ahead, Leon. No, no, definitely. Like, it's it's definitely how like once again history is observed. It's very interesting yes. and like very how how uh once this has been once again a thing throughout FromSoft. This idea that uh this community has has been calling passive storytelling. Uh, look, okay, I have to be I have to be an asshole for two seconds. I don't Please. like the terminology. I um, hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, thank you so much. Um, it's it's just uh, okay. Once again, I'm also, I will be honest, and I will say I'm not very keen to put forth my own terminology, um, but that's neither here nor there. But um, yes, I don't know, that's just to, once again, blanket statement. Uh, I don't mind necessarily people talking uh, talking about it as such, but I would say it's it, it, it diminishes it as a, okay, well, once again, more as a theory rather than a true criticism, but to me, it diminishes this, uh, this, uh, this, the legitimacy of this type of storytelling, calling it passive, calling it, and it gives me the sense, it could be just me, but it gives me the sense of being it less than. And that mm. this this narration of heavy exposition, of hiring expensive voice actors, like and mocapping them and like talking to each other. Once again, I love Red Redemption 2. I love a bunch <laughs> of games that are like, you know, are like that. And but but I'm I'm also once again, I also then love to get their games like this. But to, to call them passive storytelling, like well. Maybe that just betrays how you play the game. I don't know yeah. about you, but uh, I don't know. It's, maybe you don't understand your time and place in history. It's not my fault. But... I, I so, so that, that I completely agree with with your understanding of that terminology, and, and I, I I see it as as the reverse of how it's used. So so people describing Dark Souls and Elden Ring as passive in quotes storytelling, but like like no, this is active storytelling, right? You have to do yeah. some storytelling. Passive storytelling is every other is like Skyrim, where you just like lay down and the game narrates to you what's happening as you float by. Yeah, in in some ways, in some ways, um, if I if I can make, take the risk of offering a term, it's like hermeneutical gameplay, right? Yeah. So the, yes, the whole, your whole the whole point is to figure out not what this means, but what does this mean for you as a player. I, I think a really good example of this is in Bloodborne. So when you first get to the Hunter's Dream. Uh, German tells you, uh, don't, don't worry about it. Don't, what's going on? Uh, don't worry about it. Just go out. Just go out and blindly perform some actions because that's what hunters do. 
<laughs> if anything, German tells you, don't try and understand or engage with the story. Mm-hmm. And you're given a decision then if you're going to believe him or not. And already you've been thrown into the realm of the kind of hermeneutician, right? Of trying to decode, of trying to interpret. And I think it is, it, I, I think that term of passive gameplay is completely ridiculous, frankly. I don't think it, it works at all. Um, happy to have said, said such a thing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to just really, like, really lay down, like, like if, we're, if we're going to to take a stroll down, like, cursed game studies terminology, like, oh. If, if you want, if you want to really like, this is a master class of of using Ludo narrative, having play become the storytelling and storytelling become the play. Mm. In in of all things, like uh, an action game, like of all the genres for this to be perfected in, it was action adventure, and like, I don't know. There you go. Just thought. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's something about that which I was mentioning to Leon before, before, uh, which is that pretty much every single mechanical element inside from software games in general uh, is at least attempted to be integrated with its story, with its narrative, with with its world. So there's this, um, to to call it hermeneutics, I think is quite accurate because it, it asks that you as a player integrate yourself into this world as well. And mm-hmm. that's why I like to I like to mention that when I talk about what this game is, like, oh, become the Elden Lord. What does that mean? You you don't need to find out. You can just go ahead, do what uh, the fingers and the finger reader tells you that the fingers are telling you, and uh, do it. <laughs> uh, you're gonna hit a roadblock there at one point, but you can still carry on and still think everything's okay. Uh, or you can actually go around and like find people who are saying very different things and are making some very odd positions, and you can accordingly or not yeah you can side with the petty bourgeois blue doll people hey eh, frank <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> no 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 not, not gonna make this, this is a safe zone this is don't worry i think my favorite thing about the game is um i've i i my slightly controversial opinion is that the dark souls games are hard the FromSoft games are hard but are exceptionally forgiving um and like the game the game is not None of the FromSoft games want you to suffer. All of them want you to win. All of them. All of them want you to win, and they want you to win in whatever way you choose to make work for you. Mm-hmm. Which is honestly is you know the whole kind of like get good mentality actually reflects an in, an inability to talk critically about the material of the game itself. And I think that's that's not like a, an individual problem, but like a broader failure of how we actually talk about things which are hard to do. Because so. Are you Sorry. arguing for us to get good at uh, game no. discourse? Uh, I, I, I am, I am saying, I am saying we need to, we need to use our summons. We need to use magic. We need to use consumables. We need to use uh, spirit ash. We need to use all of the discursive tools available to us and not limit ourselves to a singular "quote unquote" correct way of playing the game. That is a very interesting notion that I do want to get into. It's one more question about the. Um... Once again, about the mention of Artifidia and the other, uh, the, if you will, the culture, the uh, culture industry surrounding these type of games uh, and and such. It's that then that I do agree with once again the hermeneutic classification of these things. I do share, and once again, maybe this is not uh, corroborative with what you guys were trying, to, uh, what, what you guys were saying, but I always feel that uh, my fear with these channels or with this dimension, this external dimension of these games, is that it goes from hermeneutic to prescriptive. 
Yeah. Yeah. And once again, I I do dislike that a little a little bit. Love Fatifidia, by the way. Once again, no hate to anyone, <laughs> but but yeah, it's it, it does tend to have that element to it in my humble opinion. But no, but that's true, and that's something that's happened uh, early on uh, after Elden Ring's release. Uh, I think uh, Vati put out a video, and uh, he got quite a severe amount of criticism, and, and he reinforced that position in later videos. That's like this is uh, this is theoretical work. This is these are hypotheses. Yeah. This is not the prescriptive mm-hmm. story of Elden Ring. So other parts of the community press and i don't think he was doing it intentionally and I, oh of course I, I, of course i, I, I want to be optimistic about the fella but <laughs> it's it's something that kind of can uh, slide into that uh position and other people surrounding the community that do this work and want to engage in this and like in this sense of like building this story and trying to build this story from a variety of different angles and positions and uh narrative uh discourses as ash was saying before and I think that that led to a positive result. That's like, oh, right, yeah, no, that, that's true. It's like, I did, I'm not saying this as law uh, because mm-hmm. he defended that uh, or they defended a particular point in, in, in the theory and other people, like fans and whatnot, was like, well, complaining to other people doing this. That's like, oh, but, but Vadi said that's this and mm-hmm. like saying that as their word was law, which never intended it to be. So yeah. this... Mm-hmm. Um, articulation into these we are building and trying to build different other narratives they're not necessarily exactly if we have a discussion about uh if if, if i have a discussion with anyone about fromsoft game and they send me a fatty video video (laughs) video video and say watch this i'm gonna block them um i'm never gonna talk to you again <laughs> I'm so sorry. At least tell me what's in the video. At least like like use some brain cells, like rub some brain cells together. But yeah, I, I will say I, I then like at least the Fatih video um, a type of content that uh, we take things out of the game and we try to make a corroborative like theory out of it. Like at least the man puts in some fucking effort. Yeah, um, oh, there yeah, are yeah. so many fucking lore video or like lore channels in in general. It's a whole industry. I. I mm. Well, check in in the next AGM episode if you want to hear more about that. Because um, <laughs> we talk about Lord of the Rings, but that, that's not here nor there. Um, so yeah, no, it's 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 this whole industry, and it's just like I, I, it's so derivative. It's so it's so well. No, never mind. It's, my again. my biggest frustration is that a lot of these uh, channels completely miss that uh, Fromsef games are really funny in places. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. the. No, like, it's grim dark. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's oh, it's so serious. No, it's yeah. not. No, it's not. Some there's some really funny bits in Elden Ring. Like you know, you wander out into Limgrave. You get <laughs> the idea of just calling all gamers uh, maidenless is extreme. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, the, that that first encounter with who is it Var? Where, yeah, where you, uh, White Mask Vare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you exit the tutorial world. You step into the game proper, and the first in-game narrative needed event <laughs> that happens to you is a guy who's going to beat the shit out of you down the road, saying, "Hey, you've got no bitches. Fuck you. <laughs> Bye." Yeah. It's it's a beautiful joke to, for for such a quote unquote serious franchise. There's there's also that amazing clip that went viral. I think it's of uh, someone playing through a level in uh, Noxtala where those huge uh, black balls appear, and they jump mm-hmm. on the bridge to avoid it, and the ball just kind of pauses for a yeah. second and then just smashes <laughs> into them. And honestly, it's one of my favorite bits of physical comedy I've seen on Twitter in years. 
from soft games can be funny. People need to talk about this more. <laughs> and this is, this yes. is also yeah, this is so important for like how we approach the narrative of these games too, because like I I love speed running Souls games from soft games because like the the, you know, the it plays beautifully, but there are always those parts where the code is put together with like scotch tape and it's barely barely running, and and you you kind of like enter into these meta narratives that start to emerge. We're talking about like uh, uh so, you know like PvP in in the early Souls games where you pick your covenant, what that says about you, and formal arrangements based on covenants. Like when uh, Elden Ring first started uh, really taking off and the online community was like flooded with people who this is this is their first Souls game. I remember that there was like so much upset in the PvP community and the co-op communities from that had carried over from all the other Souls games. Because like people did not know the rules of invasions. People did not know the rules of fight clubs. People did not know like the proper etiquette of FromSoft co-oping. And so, like, like the, the, there's these whole like like architectured meta narratives about these games that then go on to inform the given narrative that the designers made for us. Mm. Definitely, no, I, I think it's um, once again a thing that's sadly almost as iconic as from other games is like its community. It's once again the, yep. the earlier mentioned get good uh, type <laughs> mentality, which which is ah. Uh, which I love in a bad way. I love it as in I have rarely seen any type of rhetoric that like fall in on itself, like like consume mm-hmm. itself so fast as the get good rhetoric because they can't on like on uh, amongst themselves they cannot in- agree with what this get good necessarily entails. Uh, and, and like it, it's I don't like this word, but it degenerates so quickly mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. Um, like uh, actually only level one big stick go. Uh, that's the true way to beat. If you level up once, you're a fucking casual. And oh. I'm just going to say real quick, these people have unresolved childhood trauma. I'm Freudy them. I don't care. Fuck them. Uh, moving on. So, it, <laughs> no, but. and even, even that too is like, because I've, I've done all those runs, right? I've done like level up only. I've uh, level up once only, or like I've done like, shields only like all of all of like those ridiculous punishing like no flask no estus like i love those runs and those runs do fit into like they they 100 you're right like it is kind of like a it's accreted to this like quote-unquote toxic quote-unquote like patriarchal gamer bro whatever culture um but like at, at the heart of it like there is so much like goofy uh, uh, hyper difficult whimsy of being like oh these games that are infamous for being difficult what if you made it suck like what if on top of being difficult you took away all the things that they give you to ameliorate that hardness yeah what if you did an entire run with just a soup ladle what if you oh, did what oh, if yeah. you did and the thing is it's like this is why whenever i talk to anybody about the the souls games even if they count themselves as one of those kind of get good people that never comes up right the, the one thing that everybody always wants to talk about, if you get Souls fans together, one thing that that you will always talk about is, what was your build? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the, that's the one thing that will always come up. And that will always come up first. Is like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't care how, did, how you beat a certain boss or if you did it the right, the correct, quote unquote, right way. All I want to know is like, what was your build? What was, and importantly, what was your fashion? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Again, again, that feeds into my horse girl uh, simulator game theory. These are very like you get to pick your outfits, 
and ride your horse around and that's yeah, really I've, the entire I've, game that's what ga- that's what being a, a, a from soft fan is it's having great outfits and cool gadgets and occasionally riding your horse it's just like it's just like berserk everyone has cool outfits and everyone is gay <laughs> yes yes De- definitely um it's really funny because in the notes i'm gonna very very quickly scroll back up um since you guys opened this uh this this uh, this, this question, you activated leo's um, card <laughs> you know, it's it's unnecessary elaboration card uh if anything uh, oh fuck where is it um okay <clears throat> it goes as follows these, these are notes unhinged notes purposefully don't get me wrong um <clears throat> every ranking of FromSoft is flawed the only metric that should be applied is how quick does this game give me a cool outfit? Bloodborne, <laughs> right away. Therefore, best FromSoft game. Yes. Elder Ring, pretty quick, depending on skill level. So like mm-hmm. Silver Tier or whatever. Sekiro starts off cool, but doesn't have that much customability. Uh, so therefore, Bronze Metal. <laughs> so mm-hmm. And that is my, sadly, that, that is my... I, I like the non-Dark Souls better than the Dark Souls, which is, once mm-hmm. again, maybe my most cancelable opinion. I love Dark Souls, by the way. I don't say that they're necessarily better. It's just that these, uh, the non-Dark Souls from Softs are, I don't know, I just, I just like, because they focus one much more on, well, once again, Eldering is then an odd one out in that, but I love how Sekiro, real quick, uh, I love how Sekiro focuses on death, and it's mm-hmm. like um, Dark Souls talks about like, non-cyclical death and a sort of Buddhist interpretation of death, I would say. Not an expert on that. And... Uh, once again, and Sekiro is a hyper focus of that. I would argue it's more than that, but it allows itself to really get into that thing. And I, I, I like that sort of thing better. Once again, I don't have a hard opinion on which FromSoft game is better. I like once again, it's like the narrative. But I just want to very quickly uh, read that note. I'm so sorry. Continue. <laughs> well, and in Elden Ring, to to just tie that up, we have someone trying to exclude death. So it well, all fits. Yeah. It has this very interesting notion of death. Uh, maybe we want to get into some death. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. Birds. Let's get goth. Let's get real goth with it. Oh, yeah. and yes. Let's let's talk about death. I think fear is maybe one of the most interesting characters in the whole game. Uh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, and also a really good example that like gamers will put up with a mechanical disadvantage if you will just <laughs> give them a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Masculinity, am I right? yeah <laughs> uh and what i think is really interesting is this idea of of there there are kind of two two phrases that i think are really interesting the game uses which is destined death yeah. and those yeah. that live in death um and i think there is like an obvious kind of existentialist line that we can take here in this notion of a kind of like being towards death but also in a world where death is no longer a kind of final state does this, in a sense, kind of imperil the contingency of being, right? Because this this is all tied up in the endings. And actually, what does it mean for something to end, which has been a concern of of, of the FromSoft games since uh, Dark Souls, and most True. powerfully, I think, in Dark Souls 2. Um, so I, I think those two phrases are really, are really interesting, this idea of like those who live in death and destined death. And that actually the whole... The whole point, in a way, is that you have to choose an ending. This is something that the games, I think, have always been concerned with, which is, like, to want something to just keep going, to want something to never end, is a kind of, like, tyranny. 
It's oh, a kind yeah. of it's a kind, mm-hmm. like, kind of order, if you will. Yeah, a a, a golden a, order, no, a forcible sorry. imposition <laughs> of a kind of order that sh- that that is is horrifying. Because you trap everything and everyone in a stasis that allows you to continually enact and restage your own increasingly cinematic violence. Yeah, and endings and- are endings are good. Death is itself not something to necessarily f- be feared or avoided, either mechanically or narratively. Yes, and I think there's so much to say about the endings in Souls Soulsborne games in terms of how you're engaging with the history of these worlds and the narratives, because it's often the kind of the, the ending that you're on rails to achieve by the, by the very just kind of basic construction of the game. Those, those like, you know, essential checkpoint areas you have to pass through to unlock things, the mandatory bosses, the kind of on rails ending is often the, the bleakest one. It's, it's often mm-hmm. the one where you, you literally just reinstantiate all of the order that you just tried to kill away and fight and change. You just become, you just put on the hat and become the new guy with the hat. But the endings, the endings that force you to explore other areas of the game, talk to other characters, think carefully about how you engage with some of these characters because of unmarked side quests. Those are the endings that actually bring change to the world, right? The ending of the Duskborn, the Omen ending, uh, the uh, Frenzy Flame ending. Like those are the ones that kind of, you know, like they reward not your skill in combat, like they reward your dedication to curiosity. Definitely. Yeah. I find Dark Souls 3, uh, very quickly, I find Dark Souls 3 communication about like this resigned entropy very interesting. And there's some of that once again in Eldering, I would humbly argue. I don't know necessarily if that's the right terminology for it, but but the one that does it the most interesting way, I would say, is Bonzea Bloodborne. Um, we, mm-hmm. we oh, yeah. I, I would love to get into Bloodborne, but we can't. Oh but, yes, uh, it's, it's but the end. Just real quick, the ending. But uh, that literally fits one for one what you guys said. Like you have to not fight to get like the good ending. Asterisks about the good ending, but sure. Um, it's it's once again it's then so antithetical to what these and to tie it back to what we said earlier. It's so antithetical to what these get good gamer bro boys uh, would approach from soft as as fighting, difficult, purity, uh, all those things. Yet the good ending of like Bloodborne is then, I would humbly argue, antithetical to that. Mm-hmm. And I would say oh, yeah. the worthwhile endings of Elden Ring as well. But <laughs> No, I, I, I think your, your reading of this through the context of Bloodborne is so correct and appropriate, right? Like, the, the, the better you do in Bloodborne as a gamer, the more skilled you are in that game in combat, the, the more you dedicate yourself to the game, the, the worse the ending is for the, in terms of like the player character and the world that they're in, right? Like, like the more you succeed, the more you fail, which is the, the most perfect interpretation of Lovecraft in gaming. Yeah, Sorry, I mean, Blood, Bloodborne I, I, creeping as in. A, as, a, as a certified card carrying ds2 defender um <laughs> heretic burn the, the witch the good, the good ending of dark souls 2 scholar of the first sin is turning off the game and leaving it like that's the good ending right the, because you can you can you can keep going you can keep going back through the world you can burn bonfire aesthetics to like bring everything back to life so you can kill it all over again you can you can kill everything so much that the world becomes completely depopulated Right, there's that. That's how much game there is available for you, and the game allows you the freedom to do that because, uh, uh, you know, it's something 
the whole premise of the game is the working towards what the game calls the throne of want. The whole question is, what is it the as a player? And this is this is in some ways that what Elden Ring does as well. the The question is, is like as a player, what do you want? Do you want to do you want to kill everything? Do you want to do you want to burn the entire world into ash? Do you want to impose your own perfect golden order? Do you just want to leave everything? Do you want to you know go into space? And it's like, <laughs> so really the the this idea of trying to find the correct ending is really the wrong thing to think about. But it's like, what what is it that you want as a player? And I think the game is very interested in not just kind of exploring the, its own intertextual relationship to its own history, but actually the kind of meta game of you as the external force acting upon this piece of interactive media. And and from a left perspective too, like especially in the context of Elden Ring, the more the the greater your curiosity about the history of the the world and lands and peoples and governments of Elden Ring the the more options you have to pick like an anti-monarchist ending of some sort <laughs> yeah no I, just to tie off the get good narrative i would say that then uh once again i'm I'm not necessarily interested in championing uh or like uh singularizing the message that FromSoft is sending but i do think overall mm-hmm. i've had to sum it up it, it's that that's not get good but the player drive the drive to learn is the only certificate of competence that the game is interested in rewarding. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yeah, yeah. No, yeah that's I, I like that. <laughs> I think that's a good that's a good choice. There you go. Yeah, and, and that as as we were mentioning, that can mean so many different things. And like, for one person, it might mean like, oh, I don't want to try and use these things the game gives me, or no, I I will need all the tools the game gives me. I will need the consumables. I will need the esters. I will need the ashes. I will need people. I will need other human beings. Um, and that's fine. Um, yeah. I think that's um, it, it's it gives so much flexibility, and, and and Elden Ring really dials this up, right? Because yeah. you start you start the game, all the kind of narrative of the game, all the NPCs you run into, they all keep going. Uh, yeah, you should probably go to that massive castle up there. You should go. To, are you going to the big castle? There's a big guy up there. You should. And so off you run. And if it's maybe your first FromSoft game. You fight the very first boss, and he probably kicks the shit out of you. You probably get absolutely obliterated. And really, uh, like that isn't a boss, that's a choice, right? That that presents you as the player a choice. Because what you can do is you can go right around the side of Stormvale Castle and go straight into Leonia of the Lakes um, if, if you don't beat him straight away. Or you can go instead of going north to Stormvale Castle, you can go south and you can keep going south and you can go to the island uh, and there's Morn ca- Castle right on the end. And suddenly, suddenly, just just by putting that kind of choice in front of you, you they've created not even, a, not even a kind of like plot-related gate, but a mechanical one. It changes how you relate to the entire game right from the outset mm-hmm. in a way that really does emphasize, you know, what is it you want? If you think yeah. you if you think you're you're missing something, come back later. You know, go looking for it. Do you have to do every single mine or catacomb or tomb or ruin that you come across? No, you can do if you want. And it's like it's so it's so refreshing to to see the studio kind of finally have the scale of kind of technology available to let them combine their ambition to make something challenging with their ambition to make something that really emphasizes your agency as someone who does stuff in the world 
Ooh, I, I really like that. And I, and I have, and I think that this will bring in some George R. R. Martin discourse, but I have an interesting, like, <laughs> uh, t- take of that. Because, so Elden Ring, uh, to put my cards on the table, was, I think, my least favorite mm. of of the Souls games. And for me, like, I'm I'm a big, I'm a big narrative type, right? Like, for me, one of the things that really, really hooks me into a game, it, it tight mechanical gameplay and narrative. I, I love Qbert and going home, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Those are my those are my jams, right? Um, or anything I could speed run. Spider Man and Venom Maximum Carnage, I'm looking at you. Um But uh, uh sorry, I derailed my own thoughts there. In Elden Ring, like exactly what you were saying, John, like it, it almost enforces this linearity of plot, even though it's giving you so much freedom to explore. Cause everyone you meet in Elden Ring is like, Oh, do, have you seen the castle? Anyway, here's I'm a merchant or like or like, oh, I hear there's a guy you have to go kill. Uh, by the way, I'm evil. Like, it's so, it's so almost like, like it's like when the if you're playing a tabletop RPG game, and yeah. the game master just keeps trying to get you to go to the damn castle. And I contrast this with Dark Souls One, mm-hmm. just really quickly, because all you get in Dark Souls One is some some creepy some creepy little half a guy is like, hee there's a bell above and a bell below. Bye. Like, like what? <laughs> And then, and then it, it rewards, I think, so a much more uh, strong dedication to curiosity, exploration, a desire to find history. Um, and this is true in cinema, the, the next point, but that like, the more money you have, the more celebrity you have, the more fame you have, the more demand from an audience you have, the, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown from software, like, how long can you keep delivering on such lofty heights, such expanse without the like, pure simplicity of freedom that was demon souls and dark souls one yeah it, it's interesting then to once again what john said as well i think that uh and once 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 again to counter this uh only the boss's gameplay mentally matter it's that the world itself now has become direct gameplay and yeah. <laughs> it's not just a simple surface on which they uh not saying that FromSoft ever was by the way but i think Elden Ring is the culmination of that of that process mm-hmm. I would argue that Dark Souls has multiple different processes running with, within yeah. it, as, as all great works do, by the way. And and Ellering is, in, once again, as, just like Sekiro said earlier, is a specific delineation of that. And then Eldering is that of like making the world itself direct gameplay and also to once again renounce this notion of passive storytelling, because it isn't. And mm-hmm. <laughs> But um, I do think it's then very interesting to uh, to have, once again, to have these locations. And have them all slowly, like the only theme, and uh, I know that themes are for eighth grade book reports, to, <laughs> to, to, to quote a George R. R. Martin related uh, uh, <laughs> property. It's um, they, they all hang on to a certain thing, which I guess, uh, I don't know how much I want to get into that, but um, this this idea that this golden order, like we said, uh, uh, has this idea about death, destined death, but also has ideas for the world itself. If you look at like the le- the lands in between, as they're called, and if you look at like the infrastructure, it's very reminiscent of fantasy colonialism. I would argue it has big towers and big roads, and that's that's all there is. And to me, that is reminded of like you know some kind of colonialism, but. All the uh, bosses, and I, I would love to get into the bosses if that's okay with you guys. Um, oh yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, there's one thing I want to mention about okay. death. Um, 
it's interesting that that death becomes a topic again, uh, especially given uh, we've done an episode on Zardos with John and Ash in the past. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) Where death maybe isn't as bad a thing. And it's interesting in that dimension of order that how do you engage in this world where it's like, okay, uh, we've removed order, we've removed death, death is no longer a thing, but uh, didn't work, did it? Seems like uh, someone still worked to, to get death back into the equation. And those who live in death are now... The, the, they're not just excluded, they are threats. They're to be destroyed, eliminated, vanquished. And that's a side quest, um, which you can engage with or not, um, as, as these things go in this game. And the more you find out, especially through Fia... Uh, which is such a, a great character, gives great hugs. And you find it's <laughs> like, oh, so those who live in death, that maybe that isn't what I think it means. And the more you tr- you seek out and try to understand what destined death is and what the Elden Ring is, um, your actions start coming into perspective a little more. And that which seems <laughs> not all that glitters is gold and what seems to be gold is actually a big pile of shit. Um. <laughs> well, I think a, re- a really good further character to bring in here is uh, Rogier. Yes. Um, the sorcerer who has, I think, maybe one of the most tragic stories in the in the game, in my opinion. Yeah. And really is, is gone by, like, probably gone by just the start of the mid-game. Um, this idea of actually... Uh, the it, it's a really good example of this kind of desperate drive to understand death even knowing that trying to do so or or to put this another way just living will inevitably result in your own own kind of annihilation um you know he's he's always this kind of like, like unfailingly courteous very polite very enthusiastic figure um uh but you know just sitting there with the blanket covering the legs which are slowly kind of sprouting the death blight roots that are going to kind of like eventually destroy him. And I think there's something kind of deeply moving about a game that tries to take seriously this inherent contradiction to existence of being so desperately curious to understand, but knowing that doing so actually carries us closer to the end point of our own existence. Yeah, no, definitely. I Once again, feel free to, uh, to tell me if, if I got it wrong, but I think that is indicative of uh, FromSoft always understanding that there is room for political narrative. Uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. always political, but it, it's... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, once again, I'm a social scientist, I'm a political scientist. I, I will always see strife as political, as, as an inherently political of thing. Of course, of course. Um, right. So, But one could argue like, oh, it's not necessarily going for 100% political thing, but there's always room for that interpretation there. And I don't know. Um, even when we would uh, usually argue within fantasy that this medieval Europe-inspired fantasy is inherently apolitical because we all kind of agree King Bat or whatever nowadays. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that. Um, hmm. Not how, how we feel about that. But, uh... <laughs> but yeah, no, it's... it's. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I really like that about FromSoft in general. Um, very strong draw of like, hey, we're going to take very well-known elements of fantasy we're going to take a whole author and put him in the game um it's <laughs> and, and he will have a big turtle uh, pope there and uh, one, one of my favorite characters 
but uh, love Maria. No, but that makes sense. Um, just to, to tie that point, like, and Roger as the character is like, oh, on the surface, right? Oh, he's he's seeking this, and and it's it's leading to the to his annihilation. It, it's quite risky and dangerous. But the more you find out uh, after him, like as you kind of carry on his war, uh, you find out that he wasn't just looking into this meaningless or or just curious aspect, or it was just uh, bizarre, so to speak. It's actually something uh, antithetical to the world he lives in, um, in a world where death is supposed to not exist, and it happening is a finality, is an unbelievable tragedy, which pretty much sets things to go off, probably, um, to look into this death, to, to try and understand and find out what this means, is both uh radical and heretical all at once mm, where you're yeah. like maybe mm-hmm. all this is pretty terrible actually well i mean you've mentioned heresy then maybe we should <laughs> we should have a quick conversation about uh about the bosses uh yes. and and where where would where would you both like to start Ooh, um as a summary of the things that we've been talking about i would humbly offer one of my favorites, Radon. Mm-hmm. Uh, once scores high on the holding on, uh, quite <laughs> literally, in a bunch of ways we will get to, um, and scores really high on, um, once again, this, this uh, I think, like a question that we, that a bunch of Froms of People, or Froms of People, a bunch of players of these games are uh, bound to ask, are, oh, what is deeper? Is it its spectacle or is it its melancholy? Because they offer both in equal measures. And sorry to be, once again, it sounds condescending and I don't mean it that way because, once again, I've asked this myself. But it it, it needs both to work. And it, it, to ask what, which one is deeper or which one is the, is the dominant feature of it, is it melancholy, is it it's, it's spectacle? I think Redon is then such a beautifully uh, correct answer to that idea, that question that a lot of people, in my humble opinion, I've seen asking. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, I'm summarizing a bit and generalizing a bit. They don't ask those questions direct, but never mind. I think Radon is then very interesting because he, once again, uh, very strong guy, apparently, probably the strongest uh, Empyrean in the, in, in the lore or whatever. And uh, but, but he's fucking miserable. Um, very, <laughs> very George R. R. Martin uh, type thing. Big, strong guy, ends up miserable. It's, it's, Everywhere throughout his work, yeah, I'm, I don't know what you guys think of Radon. I like him a lot with his little horse. So, no, oh, of course, the, yeah. the Radon fight is like me- mechanically, it's so innovative and exciting. The, the The actual fight itself is just wild. When when the first time you experience his like meteor attack, that's the the, yeah. the, the spectacle there is very heavily felt. Definitely. Uh, also, side note, I love that the guy literally stops the heavenly bodies from working like just to give like an idea how how strong this guy is by the way he literally uh the 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 stars start moving again after he dies which like has all kinds of consequences and he apparently does this because uh for rani for her story to come to fruition that the the stars need to move because the moon and, and whatnot and he just kind of freezes them into place uh which is like top tier sibling fighting, I think. Yeah. Uh, I literally stopped. Like, oh, and yet it moves. No, it doesn't, Galileo. Like, it's it it stops, 
and I think that's amazing. I, yeah, I think I think mechanically it's an incredible fight. I think the story is in, is phenomenal. I think the design is great. I think it 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 like the whole festival is honestly an incredible narrative high point. I think it's incredible. I think it's an incredibly it's an incredibly funny detail that you can summon patches who immediately runs away. Yes. yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it, and again, I, you know, the game wants you to win, but it is it's throwing in those kind of like sly little jokes just to make the whole thing more enjoyable. Yes. My and, and oh, I was I was going to say that um, there, there's so much to to talk about with the the Radon Festival and like the fight and the fact that like um, Alexander the Jar like yes. through through inviting him to the fight and at the end you can find out that he's like st- stuffing his jar self full of corpses. Are you going to eat that? Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> he, he he goes from being like, oh, haha, funny little jar man, to like, what the fuck? How did Bloodborne? How did you get out of Bloodborne? And then like like to kind of talk about the endings too, because Radon Radon is one of a, part, a significant part of Ronnie's ending, right? Like the reason the stars are stopped, the reason all that's going on. Like no, no matter which ending you pick in Elden Ring, like you do wind up recreating aspects of the oppressive society that that you're attempting to jettison the world from in, in its onset there is no like true like escape cord and i find that so interesting both in terms of like disempowering players that are used to being big hero man saves the day and in terms of like it, there, there's so much left commentary there between, between like like can, can you seize the ready-made power of the state and achieve good ends with that all the way over to other conversations that we could be having like uh, picking apart great man history i mean yeah. i think a really good example here is the conflict between the two and three fingers right yeah. um because it, it, this is kind of like something that they did in dark souls one right where you have the, the 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 two serpents one of whom tells you a certain kind of mythology about the world and then later you find another one who tells you that actually the inverse is completely true um so i think this idea of like what is the Heresy is a really interesting condition, I think. And heresy is, historically speaking, heresy is the ground of the new. So in some ways, you could argue that uh, the the heretical uh, flame of madness is an attempt to establish uh, space for the new to emerge, even if the only way that that could possibly happen is by the complete destruction of all things. Ooh. So, so roundtable, roundtable question. Uh, which which endings? Which endings do we select? Who who is who is everyone's ending? What is your ending fashion? <laughs> uh, no, I went with Frenzy Flay from that for that exact reason. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I think it's right, the only right. good ending. I would go that far even. But that's my most cancelable opinion. I'm sorry, but please continue. <laughs> That's that, that's interesting because for for very same reasons that you two have chose the the kind of madness ending, I I went for the duskborn, I went with the age of death. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I things went. have to end. Things have to end, right? Yeah, yeah, and it, um, it's it's the ending that ends the cycle. Yeah, I, I would argue most effectively. But anyway, sorry, sorry to keep interrupting you. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. No worries. Uh, you know, I I I went with Ronnie to the stars. <laughs> oh my God, Ronnie! Ronnie forever after my true ending, the 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 ending that my heart yearns for the most is whatever Ronnie tells me to do. <laughs> true, 
Uh, you want me to kill a guy? Favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Want me to get you some jewelry on oh, it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> kill your brother? No problem. Yeah. Already dead. Already dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, very notable that nobody uh, chose the uh, loathsome dung eaters ending. Yeah. I have hot takes oh, about, about okay. the omen ending. I, I have strong hot takes about the omen ending. Um, and and my, my, my kind of omen ending hot take is as follows. So we, we've just discussed, uh, uh, I think, the, the Dustborn ending, the Ronnie ending, um, the Frenzied Flame ending. And, and each of those endings has, has this kind of uh, positive revolutionary appeal to it, right? And the Frenzied ending, you burn away. It's, it's, it's the, the world burning as the new one is born from the ashes, right? Yeah. In, in Ronnie's ending, you, you literally jettison the world into the stars. You, you physically, materially force us into a new reality, right? And in, and in the, the ending where you embrace death, it's the embrace of this cycle of change, right? You say, okay, no one gets to last forever anymore. No gods, no kings, we go on. Um, but in, in the Omen ending, it's, that's, that's the only ending where the oppressed underclass wins, the omen ending is is a is a pe- people who are heavily disabled, uh, uh, or at least in my reading, are coded as having some very strong disability, disfigurement, chronic illness, who are forced to live in the sewers. They're forced to live in this this hellish under kingdom. They're literally in a ghetto, in the game. Right. The only character that you can, the only characters you meaningfully interact with them are either hiding what they are, or they're seen as being so perverse by the world that they must be buried. And that's the ending where no, now we're now there is no class, right? That's the dissolution, right? So there's a lot we could pick apart in that one, but I think we shouldn't uh, discredit the omen ending so quickly. Yeah, the omens are very interesting, mainly that they were first a sign of luck. And they were first mm-hmm. revered. And yep. this this so, this social process has changed into well, what it is today. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I find it very interesting. Sorry, real quick. No, of uh, I find to side a little bit back into the bosses. I find it very interesting that uh, Margot, Morgoth, Mar- uh, not Morgoth, but <laughs> Margit, the other whatever that that fucker, um, yeah, submerges again. But Moak uh, mm-hmm. finds new meaning in the submergence. I yep. think maybe that's an interesting. Yeah. Thing, maybe. Sorry, I'll, Frank. I'll, you... I'll mention that as well because um, in a sense you have the so uh, just as a brief aside, what are what are the omens? The omens are. Child uh, born from from anyone, um, with some sort of horns or other deformities or something on their skin, something along those lines. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's almost like that. Those bo- uh, omens born of royalty are thrown into the sewers. Those mm-hmm. not are killed. So yeah. it's extremely brutal. Um, when you find out, it's like oh fuck, and you have these two. The main omens we we actually converse with, so to speak, uh, which are Moog and Morgoth. Morgoth is also called Margit, because uh, 90% of people in this game have two names or two identities, or both. And they all start with a G, R, and M. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> Go figure. Um, and you have these two these two twins, they're twins, the Morgoth and Moog, and... They were supposed to be kind of these... They were born off Marika, who was queen, and the first Elden Lord, Godfrey. And they they were cast into the sewers and whatnot. And Morgoth, uh, he's basically the only ruler left because everything's fallen apart. Scatological framework, as, as it, 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 we set up in most From Software games. 
and there's no one left to rule the kingdom, to rule uh, over the Golden Order, to rule over the capital city of Langdell, um, to rule the lands between, exactly. And the only one who's left is Morgoth. Uh, he is the 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 king. The, the I, I forgot his his boss title, um, the, but it's something. The bad omen king. The bad omen king. I think. I'm not quite sure. Possibly. Um, <laughs> Possibly. And <laughs> and he's he's the one left. He's the one that's trying to keep things together. He's grasping at these these ropes that are pulling apart and trying to to hold them in place. And on on the other end, you have Moog, who was kind of like sequestered underground and found an even further location where he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to build my, sorry for the joke. Uh, I'm going to be with my own dynasty with gambling <laughs> and games. And <laughs> exactly. And an equality time with my half brother. Love him. <laughs> well, put him in this some... egg. Some kidnapping <laughs> there, but yeah, yeah, they, they put him in the device, didn't they? He, he put him in the device. They're putting you, bro, bro, wake up! They're putting you. They're putting you in the device, bro. Um, the sad ending, really, a really sad ending. Well, that's that's what the DLC will probably be about. Mm. Yeah, the one on the egg. Um, but it's it's interesting to see like how these, even these figures, and then you have. Uh, the loathsome dung eater who who goes much further than well he he he's in a mm-hmm. far different league than Morgoth and he goes much further than Moog who's trying to establish his own dynasty and something no uh the loathsome dung eater he he knows what he needs to do he needs to interfere with the with the actual Elden Ring he needs to add yeah. this the the fell curse rune or something along yeah. those lines yeah <laughs> he oh no it, it, yeah oh go on go on go on no, no, go on. <laughs> oh, I was, I was going to say you are, you are completely correct. I, I think with this reading, like there, there is one ending that destroys the Elden Ring. You know, there is one ending that brings a corruption to it that can, that can permanently shatter the source of capital P power that keeps winding up oppressing this kingdom. You know, and it's, and it's that, and like I, I think there's so much fun metaphoric reading we can do with the Los and Dung Eater, and, and it's like. Because like he's he's coded so horribly, so vilely by all of the different competing powers of the game, and like what what is kind of like materially kind of the the you know like what he's trying to achieve is the thing that would destroy all of their power completely forever, and and I fi- I, fi- I don't know I just find it all to be so fascinating, and, and I think there's a bonus to that because the the omen curse or or, or those signs they're supposedly reported to something, and this is confusing. All on its own, which is the crucible. The crucible, which is this sort of yes. primordial potential energy from which the Ur tree came from, the big golden shining tree, um, with from which all the things and the life forms and whatnot. True value, and... Telperion. <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 presence of the horns, the omen curse, seems to signify, uh, or at least some yes. characters or descriptions mention that a connection to the crucible, to this primordial yes. soup energy potential. Because if things shaped in this particular way biologically, they could have shaped into another with different lizards and and wings, which is what the crucible knights supposedly refer to, uh, that they have these other powers which comes from what could have been or what could also be so uh if we tie into it's like okay so the omens they they seem they are called to be cursed but they have this uh, like original connection 
and what does it mean when this original connection is brought into the fray? Like it is the collapse of all that the God Golden Order established in the in the creation of clear distinctions, life, death, uh death is no longer there is the Golden Order which which controls this. So these lines, these separations, they are if they are to if they are broken down in the Duskborn ending, where death gets put into the ring, then the the um, the fell curse ending basically is as you put it, Ash, it like tears it apart from the inside. Oh, oh, totally, totally. And especially because the 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 I love the link between the omen and the crucible, right? Like the every other ending, every other faction in this game is is fighting for who gets to be the new monarch. You know, mm -hmm. like like they are all monarchist endings, literally within the text of the yeah. game. You become some kind of lord for every other ending. Um, it, it, and in that lore, and in that ending, you like reach back, you know, into the thing that created this thing, the power that came beforehand, this kind of ur force of class or labor, however you want to read this thing, and and permanently poison the the power well. It's just ooh, discourse. It's fun. <laughs> Try it at home. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not expect the dung the dung eater discourse to be this hard and be this awesome like this. This rocks. <laughs> to, to to then talk about someone I find a little less awesome, and who does try a lot of things at home. Um, my, my <laughs> least favorite, uh, my least favorite boss was uh, uh, Godric, yeah, the god uh, drafted, uh, mainly because, and this is my hot take, uh, Godric is Fortnite. <laughs> He is an empty shell that is grafting on other IPs onto himself to be made to remain relevant. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know how we feel about Godric. Does anyone have a, a hot take? Or a... <laughs> I think Godric, Godric is maybe the most successful critique of like any kind of like hegemonic power, literally monarchist in this case, but also like your boss at work. You know, like <laughs> anybody like that, right? Because like like he, he's just a he's just a total wimpy little loser who only gets his strength by stealing everyone else's uh, oh, let's exactly. just say labor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, stealing their dragon heads. I didn't mean to say labor. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> no, but he's the only one that I actively enjoyed beating. The rest have once again this deep sense of melancholy to them, and so forth and so on. I think the and... melancholy really does hit its peak with the the dragon bosses, though, mostly because the dragons are sort of. As they've always been in the FromSoft games, the, the dragons are from the place, the the universe before time itself. Um, you know, Faramazula, the center of the storm outside of time, where you find uh, Dragon Lord Placidizax, uh, which is, I think, maybe my favorite fight in the, the entire game, just for its incredible sense of kind of scale, the the beautiful moment where kind of time itself unwinds, and you get to see what things were beforehand right because this is always this is always the thing with the FromSoft games you're arriving in the wake of disaster right and your job mm -hmm. is to kind of figure out what's happened um whereas this time you you have these like again uh they've done it in previous games in in kind of fits and starts you have this idea of like going back into time to see things before they were broken and mm -hmm. what you get is you get this incredibly um impressive uh dragon boss fight 
And you know, I'm I'm not saying that just simply because I found a spell that completely shredded him. But that was one of my <laughs> one of my favorite fights in the entire game. Yeah, he, uh, Pleasant, Pleasant Sex is my favorite Godzilla villain. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I'm so here for King Ghidorah making an appearance. Right. <laughs> yeah, but Far Missoula, what a place in general. But I think one of my most favorite design places in FromSoft's uh, history. But that's that's just me. I I like I, I, I like a good whirlwind. If you put a whirlwind in there, like a tornado, <laughs> you, you already like. I'm like two thirds into the door. That's uh, but that's me. Just, don't worry about that. <laughs> Crumbling Faramazula of its collapsing ruins amid tornadoes and hurricanes. And the gods and... can do again. Yeah. Because that's what everybody wanted. Sorry. <laughs> and the people who flay gods or beings and, and wear their yeah. skin. Um, lovely gents. Who doesn't want a tabard made out of gods? It's one... Who amongst us, really? Again, it's, uh... it's a fashion game. It's a fashion game. Yeah. It's a, it's a dress-up simulator. <laughs> you can kill God and... Yes, and it's killing God. Important <laughs> detail. I mean, you oh. say that, but one of the greatest appeals is killing a boss and then being able to buy their clothes. Uh, that is that is a statement politically made by this franchise. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you wear their skin. Oh, so, so, so I mean, we were t- we were talking about King Ghidorah or Lord Placiduax, Lysidu- however, however that is actually pronounced. Keep forgetting um, it, it, so something that discursively I find really interesting, and specifically Dark Souls 1, 2, 3, and now Elden Ring, is how the game approaches the draconic and mm-hmm. like the, the figure of the dragon, right? Because we never in these games I- I- encounter like a healthy dragon at its peak. You know, like in in all the Dark Souls games, right? You, you will find the ruined corpses of these massive dragons throughout the land. And here in Elden Ring, the single biggest dragon of, of, of such unspeakable scale is is so already dead that you just have to slap its tail for a bit and it will keel over, you know, and all the other dragons that you fight are its like newborn children. And I think that there's one something interesting about the history going on here, how there's this kind of like, and in all of these games too, the dragons represent some competing system of order that exists outside of the current like monarchy that's spoiling the land. And then you get questions of like dragons being used as resources in Elden Ring, right? Like human mages powering themselves through consuming parts of dragons, right? So there's like this capitalistic side of extraction happening against their culture. So we get these kind of like weird tones of like anti-colonialist messaging coming up in here. And I was wondering what anybody's if anybody else had King Ghidorah takes. <laughs> uh, it, it, sadly, no. Go continue. <laughs> I, it, <laughs> I think I'll add to that how it's it, it's interesting that. Uh, the, these dragons, they are like the remnants and the remnants of the remnants. W- one of the, the strongest dragons, which is uh, uh, Lich Dragon Fortisax, mm. uh, who was befriended with oh, God- yep. Godwin. Uh, uh, I, I At some point, I want to briefly talk about Godwin. Godwin had befriended a dragon, Fortisax, and, you know, they, they were loyal and whatever. And when uh, when Godwin died, Fortisex kind of became embedded with him or like lives in his memory or something. And even then he's still so broken apart and still so being uh, consumed by death or destined death or whatever it might be. And it's, it's so that there's the deep melancholy of like, we don't know what the dragons were. We don't, we have no clue. Like 
we know that they were strong, we know they were powerful, and we know they kind of ruled. Um, what's the quote? It's like, it was only with the war with the dragons that the walls of uh, Langdale were breached. And there's the, the capital of the kingdom uh, of the lands between Langdale has a massive dragon corpse with a spear <laughs> through its body. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what, one of the most defining features of that landscape. And when you go back to this land where it's like there are a lot more dragons and they are more common, which is Farmazula, we don't <laughs> we find anything but answers, uh, which I think is, is so cool. We we find more questions because oh, oh, I, I just want to mention this because I, I just think it's like it adds to this mystique and this power that your dragons yeah. symbolize. Uh, but that throughout the game we see imageries and at the very end of the game we see the Elden Ring and what the Elden Ring looks like. In Faramazula, we see those that image of the Elden Ring, but superimposed more lines, more contour, more it's as if it had more the Elden Ring was more before in the time of the mm-hmm. dragons. So what happened? Okay, that's the big question that has no answer. Uh, there are a few prevailing interesting hypotheses of what the dragons try to do with the Elden Ring. The the prevailing one is that if given Merica trying to excise death from the ring, uh Placidus Axe perhaps tried to excise time from the ring. But again, this this is this is pure speculation. Um <laughs> but it's it's interesting to see how um... Wait, you didn't check what Fatty Fidia said beforehand? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get off this podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> but this brings back something I wanted to talk about and I had forgotten, which is this idea of like Elden Ring captures well, I think, and other, the other from software games do too, these layerings of history. Like there are layers upon layers of attempt, failed attempts, creation, destruction, building, rebuilding, Dark Souls 2 as well. Uh, I know he does. Uh, <laughs> uh, to, to appeal to John. Uh, but it, it's really interesting to see it when you literally go to this place before. Or, like, is it the same place? Is it a different time? You go there via warping. Uh, so, so how so many more questions that are raised when you when you have this world that so many different histories that are happening all at once and these pushed attempts to change this land and you you can throw your hat in, in with one of them or or try to carry on with this with its dreaded corpse. Yeah, I mean in a way it's because we don't really know how much we've lost, right? Yeah. This is this is I mean, again, if you think in terms of cycles, you know, you're not the first tarnished who has set out to become Elden Lord. You know, the round table hold uh, is full of others who are trying to do the same thing as you. And it's like, this is, there's a kind of, there is a sort of beautiful uh, contingency to history itself, right? Things do just fall apart. Um, and there is, uh, it's it's sad and, and kind of heartbreaking, but an inescapable part of existence. Um, and this idea of like actually trying to hold on to the very few fragments of things that you know that you have is maybe the worst thing that you can do. Sometimes, sometimes ending is better. Sometimes you can't, sometimes things have gone on for so long and have become so overly complex and fractured that you can't put them back together again. And really the only way of actually finding the space for there to be anything that could be uh, not even better, but different is to make Mm -hmm. sure that what is, is no more. Yeah. I love that. Sometimes dead is better. Yeah. 
I think then to once again talk about death and the um, it it if if I had to pick once again you shouldn't pick but just as as a device for conversation um, if you had to pick like the two most central themes um, I would say is then a questions about order and questions about death mm-hmm. and uh, I think then once again sorry to <laughs> once again talk about this but it has such an interesting conceptions of death. Um, not not only is non cyclical uh, non cyclical interpretation of it, but once again the uh, the ancestor spirits, for instance, um, mm, that yeah. like like mm. have such a interesting death cycle and like the antlers that bloom after it dies and it comes back and it dies and it comes and it, it it's uh, George R. R. Martin as a writer I would argue has um, some <laughs> how do I say this politely interesting dare I say hang ups about death which is fine. Uh, I'm not judging at all. Uh, don't we all? I suppose it's, and then another thing that, uh, by my my humble opinion, the most interesting depiction of how death works is how a lot of people go back to the roots of the earth tree if you die. Mm. And in Song of Ice and Fire, real quick, uh, sorry to talk about Song of Ice and Fire again. Uh, <laughs> there's this uh, werewood tree network in those in, in that world as well. And there's this idea that if you like um, open this <laughs> open this third eye, you can like talk to animals, and that's like very cool and all. But you do maybe sort of kind of it's not confirmed. Um, but you maybe also resign yourself to like uh, to to make your soul go to into this werewolf tree network, and your memories and your well your collectiveness goes into that network. And I thought that uh, exploring below into these catacombs, we see some of these roots. And we see human bodies uh, slimed, dare I say, into uh, some roots there. And I don't know. How, how do, we, uh, do we have... Do we, do we like hive minds? <laughs> do we, how do we feel about all that? Uh... Well, I think this is the flip side of, of what I was just talking about, which is like, actually, uh, nothing is... Actually, everything can be found if you dig deep enough, right? Um, mm-hmm. and and isn't that just like a kind of reassuring thing about history this notion that like uh it's very it's very um it's very benjaminian it's very influenced by walter benjamin i think this idea of like actually even the dead all of them all of that kind of life and existence and and uh struggle has meaning has some uh it has some kind of wider context um and even if you know maybe the important thing is not the restoration of order but the liberation of all including the dead from the imposition of you know the golden order of quasi-religious fascists <laughs> um, yeah that's accurate <laughs> uh, my hot take is america is a protestant <laughs> that's mainly because she talks about work she oh uh, yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> <laughs> See, the the way that's like oh endlessly endlessly work otherwise you're worth nothing um mm-hmm. it is this really weird fetishization of work and once again reminds me of like the colonial mindset of oh, yeah. uh, European countries like oh you should work because that's where you get into heaven and slavery is fine because we allow you to work and work is virtuous and you get into heaven because of us even though mm-hmm. we do believe in predestination from from Dutch uh, uh, colonialism but never mind all that <laughs> the, the, anyway <laughs> so, so America like the, the all the rhetoric that America spouts is very interesting uh, I think, and is once again one on one, also a very popular figure in 
George R. R. Martin's work, America as the Aegon the Conqueror, um, who forces these realms together willingly or not doesn't fucking matter. I'm going to do it anyway. And I can, and one kingdom I can't conquer, so I'm going to marry into it. I'm going to dye my hair and change my gender and, uh, like, marry into this family. And do we, uh, I, I don't know if, if I'm interrupting anybody, but I would love to get into this notion of, uh, dare I say, a divine transgenderism. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's do it. I, definitely, but I will point out, uh, it's getting pretty late over here. I don't know how much longer I can stick around for. Yeah, I, I this this and one more thing that's all that sounds good yeah hit it well i think uh let's then go on i think a lot of it uh once again in george r R. martin's work is uh it's very much inspired by alchemy by like alchemical language and uh how once again death and life are opposed to each other we also explore this notion uh within some alchemical texts not an expert but in some alchemical experts uh texts are the the notion is explored where we encounter divine feminine and divine masculine, and um, and conjoining these two divinities is like the ultimate goal of alchemy or something. Once again, there's no uh, singular notion of alchemical thought. It's it's very fragmented in that regard, as far as I understand it, by the way. But I I I think it's uh, it flew under the radar, but I think that's a very interesting notion. And sadly, in this day and age, very daring notion to put forth mm. in your game. A person that can just change their gender? Or is it cool because there's magic? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how trans folks feel about this game is what I'm getting at. And doesn't this confuse I mean, I, you somehow? I, I hope they're confused. I hope they hate it. I hope they are confused and hate all things good as they do. So, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Accurate. But, um, no, no I, 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 find, I find this stuff fascinating and this and this like this will please john but like one of my favorite things in any dark souls game is the gender changing coffin yeah <laughs> and like like that that was just that was just randomly implemented because they 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 were having problems getting armor sets to work right i think was the issue so they were just like eh, gender change coffin okay. <laughs> and like and, and really that that kind of same like mythology extends into this right like the the alchemical process meddling with with poorly understood chemical processes the the these natural cycles of changing changing the body like it, it's interestingly slotted in a game where like literally one of the first play activities you do as the player in any dark souls game one of the first things the decision you have to make to start the game is to pick your gender right like and i know it's kind of a trivial point right character creation you pick your gender you pick your hat but like it is nevertheless interesting in the broader context of what these games are making us do. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was my final notion. I don't know if anybody feels very strongly about anything else. <laughs> I I think um, if it is to I don't know supposed to kind of write uh, to carry us out of it um, and and let you both rest uh, after you, <laughs> after something. I know it's taxing. <laughs> is to talk about possibly the secondary bleakest ending possible. Uh, if the most bleak one is the one where it's like, yeah, no, just just fix it. It'll be fine. Let's carry on things as they were. <laughs> um, the secondary one is the gold mask one, where you inscribe the rune of order back into the into the ring. And I'm just going to read uh, a thing that the game says that's like, a, it's a little terrifying. Um, the age of order thus envisions a new age of stability. 
where there is no more conflict brought, ab- brought upon by the fickleness of the gods, no better than men, which was emboldened by the flames of ambition. It's a little sinister, isn't it? It's like, no, no, no ambition, no, just, we're, we're all quelled under this. This rules us, and thus we obey. Uh, yeah, once again, you know, the Golden Order is is about the kind of forcible imposition of of a strictly rational sense on the universe on on existence mm-hmm. and inevitably runs into conflict of like with you know gravity magic and magic from the stars and you know the dead refusing to stay dead i think to to take to do a golden order playthrough is basically an attempt to kind of ignore the imaginative capacity of existence <laughs> <laughs> yes no, but that's exactly what America is. I, w- I would argue it's then really funny. Like the last thing I'll say is that when uh, we defeat Radagon slash America, um, the el- the Elven Beast shows up, which is the embodiment of uh, the vassal feudal system, and is literally order. It, mm. it is literally the Elven Ring. It is literally order, and he submerges America's dead body and makes a weapon out of it, which is at the end of the day all you are to them. And I thought that was like the most subtle. Uh, expressive way of like typical forms of storytelling, which once again is not passive. So that's that's my closing thoughts. <laughs> yeah, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for having us on the show. Always. Uh, and now the only thing that we ask is that you undo the arcane <laughs> podcasting summoning circle. Sorry, you're breaking up. What are you saying? I can't. Uh, <laughs> we, we must <laughs> we must return to our own world. <laughs> and how can you summon others to your own world, gents? <laughs> oh you could do that by visiting patreon.com slash horror vanguard uh, at horror vanguard on twitter and instagram horrorvanguard.com and horror vanguard wherever you get your podcasts whatever whatever summoning sign you put down to get your weekly podcast episodes you can you can do the same thing to get us and please do it's absolutely mm-hmm. worth it we recommend yes agree well once again uh, thank you so much for listening uh, yeah. if you, thanks everyone if you made it all the way to here thank you so much uh, thank you John Nash <laughs> yeah, for coming on it's, yeah thank you so much yeah, thank it's, you. Been, it's, a it's been a pleasure and uh, yeah we'll hopefully see you soon for something more spooky a month oh more, absolutely uh, it, it more... isn't it isn't a, a year of the left page without the horror vanguard for Halloween yeah, what can and, I say? and to talk about order and rules <laughs> oh, right. you, mm. yet again I oh, will no. summon <laughs> foreshadowing that's the only foreshadowing we're going to do once again thank you so much everyone and take care bye bye